all the time. And he's being good to us today. I wanted to say one thing about the meeting. I think we've got two meetings in the annex after services. My meeting is going to go in one of the big classrooms, okay? Uh, and mine will probably happen before Jamie's. I know how he does meetings. <laughs> so uh, my guys go to the big classroom over there. We'll, we'll get our stuff taken care of, and, and Jamie will do his thing, all right? Um, my pleasure to present to you today uh, a dear friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, been 20 years since I laid eyes on him. Uh, yesterday was the first time, and uh, it was good. But uh, we're both a little worse for the wear. <laughs> uh, John uh, had a stroke back in March. He's on his way back. He's made tremendous progress. We're thankful for that. And uh, we're, uh, we're expecting him to make a full recovery and get back and do everything that he was doing before. But I wanted to just say a few words about John. Uh, I learned much from him in my stay in Detroit. Uh, this goes back to 1976. One of the first people I met there was uh, John and a crew of young men who unloaded our uh, uh, van, our, our truck, and put us, in, uh, put us in our apartment. And I got to know John uh, very well, uh, watched him as he ministered with the church there at Royal Oak. Um, John is one of the uh, most effective uh, personal workers that I have ever known, okay? And there's a couple other areas where he's very strong, too. But he's going to talk to us this morning about how to just work with people and how to bring them to the Lord and our, our friends and our neighbors and so forth. And this was something he wanted to do kind of yesterday in a uh, little seminar over here in our uh, here in the building. But I told him, I said, our people are so worn out from VBS and camp. I said, we'll be lucky to... Let's just do this Sunday morning. He's going to talk to us a little bit about some of the things he would have said yesterday in that, in that seminar. But, and tonight we're going to hear uh, much more about Panama. But I want to present to you now uh, a, a wonderful brother in Christ. And I uh, look forward to spending eternity with him in heaven. This is John Belasco. Usually I'm known for having visual aids. This is one, you'll see another one tonight. The one tonight is a frog. Uh, frog, F-R-O-G, fully rely on God. If you do, you'll be able to accomplish your dreams. Part of my lesson tonight's gonna to be dreams that you've always wanted to have, have never really been able to accomplish. I wanna show you some people's lives who accomplished great things when they allowed God to help them. And that's what I'll be talking about tonight, the work in Panama. I don't know how many folks you got here, but in Panama you have 300 and, excuse me, 232 new Christians, two full-time preachers, a doctor and a dentist, and eventually we're looking for a pharmacist. We have a clinic down there and a church. I'll be talking more about it later. Um, but I want to talk to you this morning. I first want to tell you something. I'm really proud to see the Ten Commandments up there. You don't see them very far in any place because what thing you should realize is God didn't make any suggestions anywhere. New Testament, Old Testament, their commands. Continue my word, then indeed you my disciples. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judges him. The words which I have spoken shall judge you, judge them in the last days. I met a woman one time who said baptism wasn't her Bible. I was in Arkansas. I said, well, really? Let's look at it. 
she had taken a razor and cut the word baptism out of every single passage mentioned in the Bible. So it wasn't in her Bible, for sure. Uh, the other thing I want to tell you is, you folks are blessed. You've got a beautiful building here. Uh, your song leader's fantastic. I'm used to the best uh, man that worked with me. 31 years, Joe Maxwell in Dearborn and also Royal Oak has led singing for us. I could come down the aisle with one sermon in my mind and I'd be sitting there and all of a sudden Joe would get me so inspired I changed the sermon on the way up to the pulpit. He was that good. He made, made a medi mediocre preacher look good. I wasn't trained in public preaching. I was spent most of my ministry in personal work. I was trained that way at Harding um, in being able to reach other people for Christ. Now, when you mention personal work, I don't want to scare anybody because when I get through today, I'm going to show you a positive way where you'll be able to use the talents you have to help this church uh, grow. Um, one of the sad things in the Detroit area, I first went there, the churches were real small. Excuse me, real large. I had the smallest one. And now today there's some 40 people in these big, beautiful edifices, and uh, they'll have to sell their buildings. You've got a good crowd here this morning, even though it's a holiday. You ought to think very seriously about a morning, uh, two morning services. I'm doing quite a few of them. This In Florida, I'm speaking. In Michigan, I'm speaking. There are uh, a congregation I'm going to. I'll be doing two Bible classes, two worship service, and uh, one in Spanish, Bible class and worship service. That way, that as the people get double the congregation, more people in, they then can start doing the building. It's just a shame to see all these large buildings sitting there all these years, the sad things that are happening. Uh, what I want to share with you today is this. Well, a couple more things. First of all, you're very lucky and very fortunate to have the singers you got here. You know, I come into the church. They talked about a cappella singing. I didn't know what it was. came out of the Catholic Church. And... Uh, if we're going to talk about being a cappella, we need to have the kind of music you have here. Today I felt like I had a little bit of heaven being here. If I seem short of breath, I am. Uh, my tongue was paralyzed, and I'm working at it. Um, also, you're very fortunate to have Steve and Serena here. You know, if he ever decided he'd like to go back to Michigan, there isn't a church up there that wouldn't hire him. He did a great ministry while he was there, got a great personality, and they both of them are great Christian people. They're a real asset to you at this congregation. And it's good to see the building you have, to hear the singing you have. I just made worship more meaningful for me this morning. Uh, what I want to talk to you about is some things. The very last thing I'm going to talk about is going to be um, a very positive, uplifting. Most of the time when you talk about soul winning, people feel like someone kicked you in the stomach and you say to yourself, oh, no, not that again. And you, they make you feel guilty. I'm not going to make you feel guilty. I'm going to try to help you. That's my role. That's what I'll be doing in Panama is teaching the people down there more about the scriptures, how to win your best friend to Christ, and how to keep your best friend in the church. And uh, now the background and experience, I've been in the ministry 54 years. I'm 76 years old, and I've started right off as I was converted teaching people the Bible. I didn't even know it myself. I was using the Jewel Miller film strips, and I learned a lot about the Bible. Then I went to college and got some training and learn more about the Bible. I've held every kind of workshop there is, every kind of campaign there is. I've knocked on doors everywhere. And people get really discouraged. I'm not a person that can be, uh, you know, thrown off by uh, someone who rejects you. I just go next. Let's go to the next door. They haven't heard the message. But these canned things we plan, all this, we don't need better methods. I've done them all. We need better Christians. We need to have visual aids. You are a visual aid as a community what they see, the way you live, and the things that you do. 
is the effect it has upon people. And one of the great things that happened here apparently was the flood. It was hard on a lot of people, but it gave the church a chance to show how loving and caring you were. But I got a chance to get to know you. And uh, that's really good to know that that happened for you here at this congregation. Um, a new commandment I give unto you, have love one for another. By this all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. A congregation has vision. A congregation has leadership. A congregation that really loves each other, doesn't have the preacher for lunch, doesn't complain about the elders or the song leader, but it's up, you got to be talking up the church all the time. Talk up your preacher all the time. No negative things. Talk. Nobody wants to be a part of a sinking ship. And if it's having problems, who'd want to come to worship with you? Fortunately, you don't have those problems. Fortunately, you are growing and things are working well for you. Most of the congregations I go to have, I have to say, it sounds like alley cats singing. It's pathetic. We're telling people how good a song, how good a cappella is. And uh, then we, you know, don't, we don't sing very well. And I could see how it would turn me off if I didn't know um, no better since I've been in the church. Looks like my visual aid wants to go away on its own. I think I'll put something in front of it here. Is there a clock out there somewhere? I usually try to stay within the time. What time am I supposed to wrap up? Uh, 4.11.30. 11.30. Well, I'll try. Well, well, no, I'll tell you what. I'll hold. Yeah, yeah, it's just so it stays. If it falls, just give it back to me. Um, I want to call your attention to a scripture that you all know. I'm not using this as a hammer or anything on people, but I have been cutting my teeth on the American Standard, which I feel is most grammatically correct. From the Greek, I also use King James because my congregation for years asked me to. So, if any of my quoting the scripture sounds like King James or American Standard, it is. I'm reading to you from Matthew 28, starting here in verse 19. Go ye, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end. We have a promise from God to be there with us. I want to suggest to you, in case this slips me, one of the most important things is that you find a passage of Scripture that's uplifting to you. I'll give you a short one that's been good for a lot of people. Hebrews 13 and 5. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God is making that statement to every Christian. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And over in Second Peter, it brings up the idea, cast all your cares upon him because he careth for you. You need a passage of scripture that can help you as you go through a crisis. I've gone through a massive heart attack and also the, this silly thing just happened on March 17th. Kind of slowed me down a little bit. Um, now the word going there, teaching, baptizing, all modify the idea of making a disciple. The fact that we convert someone to Jesus or some thing we need to realize is I planted a polished water, God gives the increase. It's not what we've done, but what God has done. When I first went to Royal Oak, the Lord helped us convert over 100 people the first year. We, had, uh, we figured out close to two and a half souls per week. And uh, that, how many ever heard of a half a soul? Not too many. So we decided, I did something unusual. You know, you got all these opinions, which turns me off in the church. I said, let's win five souls to Christ. We handed out a piece of paper and had people write down the names of five people they really loved they wanted to take to heaven with them. And we had the women put it in their purse and the men put it in their wallets and every, where their money exchange was. And every time they looked at it, I asked them to pray with all their, their hearts that they can reach that loved one. And that's very important, being able to... Uh, you're turning to God. The eyes of the Lord upon the righteous 
and the ears on his supplication. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If I speak fast, I'm from New England. Play it back at 33. I used to wear out three. We used to have a deaf ministry at the church I was at. We used to wear out three girls interpreting. <laughs> They'd walk away wiping the sweat off their brow. And uh, I have slowed down some. That's what they want me to do. And I'm trying to do that now, but... The word going, you know, when I first came into the church, the Church of Christ 1959 was the fastest growing religious body in the United States. Are you aware of that? How many people were aware of that? Fastest growing religious body in the United States. You know, we're not the fastest anymore. We're not going. We're not doing. You know why some people aren't doing it? Because they feel that nobody wants to hear anything about Jesus. Well, guess what's happening? The JWs, the Mormons, they're out there still reaching people. And you mentioned the other day the, um, the Amish a doubling or something every so many years. So people are interested and people do need Christ. And uh, I wouldn't want to be an individualist in heaven and have some person come up there before God, before the judgment, and say, you never mentioned him to me. I think one of the most powerful things you have, you may not realize it, is your example. My mother-in-law lived, walked the talk. That's what, by the way, I'm one of the few people... I mean, don't get yourself in trouble. How many people here love their their mother-in-law? Okay, good. She, uh, she I don't want to put you between a rock and a hard place. Uh, she lived the right, she lived the life, and there was an older woman that taught us, and she always just asked questions. She didn't put down a religion. Every time I went to church on Sunday, by the way, I came out of a street gang background, and uh, having a, a knife in your hand is, was part of it. And uh, when I went to church on Sunday, this preacher Every Sunday morning, I think she went to, we went to the Church of Christ on Sunday morning and uh, went to the Catholic Church somewhere in the middle. And uh, he would cut the Catholics. I felt like I'd been in a knife fight. He'd cut Catholicism all the time. And fortunately, one day by mistake, they invited a guy in there. They started talking about that Jesus loves you. I started thinking about that. You mean someone who really loves me, who cares about me? Jesus loves every one of you. Every one of you are important to him. And because of realizing that Jesus loves me and the teaching and the example of visual aid of somebody actually living what they believe, walking the talk, I came down the aisle. Now, you don't know this about me, but when Steve one time called me a beach whale, I weighed 285 pounds. I was in the power weightlifting. I'm one of the few people you'll ever meet that broke the 500 bench, also affected my chest. But uh, I, as you gain weight, you gain strength. And I was, then I don't want to diet after that. I wasn't there. You took my place or something. People, and I, came, I saw myself in the mirror. I said, oh, my goodness, is that what I look like? But anyway, um, with the promise God has made to us in the Great Commission, you are already doing some mission work in other parts of the country, and you are here, too. God's going to bless you for it. Everything you do, the lady and the man that were cleaning the building yesterday, do you realize that, that time is money? Any time you put into the church, it's donating to God or to the church, whether you're cutting a lawn or cleaning a building, whatever you're doing. Um, so that going into the whole world making disciples, you're not made a person really a disciple, I don't believe, because they were baptized. But not until they can repeat in their life what happened when you taught them, that they can reach others. That's my second passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy 2. 2. Uh, this is Paul talking to Timothy, and he's saying to him, the things you've heard of me among many witnesses, teach others so they can teach others also. I hope you got that. Like, the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, teach others 
so they can teach others also. I'm going to give you an illustration. I might get a little bit loud. I don't know. See how strong the voice is. How many of you used to walk to school? Nobody here? A few. You know, well, there's a story I want to share with you about. It's not a true story, but a story about a boy and a bunch of kids walking to school. I walked to school, too. A backpack with a lot of books and had his luncheon. They went across this bridge. There's an old guy sitting there petting his cat, eating an apple and trying to fish. All of a sudden, he hears, help, help, I'm dying. And looks out there in the water, and there's some guy flailing around in the water. And so the kid jumps in and takes his hat and shoes off and a new shirt his mother had given him. Dove in the water, swam out there, brought the guy back, pumped all the water out of the guy. And the guy said, thank you for saving my life. Well, that night coming back home, the old man was still there on the bridge. And he was eating some kind of fruit. He was still fishing. And all of a sudden, the kid hears, help, help, I'm dying. Save me. Please come out here and get me. So he swam all the way out there and turned the guy around and said, that's you, huh? So he dragged him back in and pumped the water out of the guy and uh, got him up on his feet, and he went home. About a week later, he's walking across the same bridge with all his friends. Help, help, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. And so he swims out there and brings the guy back for the third time. And the guy says, thank you for saving my life. Well, the old man is still with his cat, still fishing, still eating an apple. He says, son, why don't you teach the guy how to swim? You won't, have, he won't, you won't always be here. And uh, teach him not only how to swim, but teach him how to help other people to learn how to swim. And um, you know, you're going to be doing this the rest of your life. That's the, the, the illustration of Second Timothy 2, 2. The things you've heard among many witnesses, teach it unto others so they can teach others also. I think when we convert someone to Christ, we want to convert them to the point to where they're willing to be able to share. Every man should be able to give an answer concerning the hope that lies within them. And if you cannot share what God has done for you and how God has helped you, that's kind of very sad. Uh, How would you expect someone to believe what you believe if uh, you can't show how your prayer, life, how the Bible, and the Word of God has helped you? The only authority you have, I have one of these little, first, I'm trying to find my big Bible this morning, I couldn't find it, little small testament. That's your authority. We have a king, he's in heaven. And, and, uh, you know, back a number of years ago, our people revolted against the king of England so that we got our independence in this country. I'd like to encourage you to pray for all the veterans and all the people that have lost their lives and their loved ones. I'm what you call a Korean vet. And um, the sad thing, you go into the VA to see the doctor, and now you see these young girls, no legs, no arms, with their face just blown off. It really tears you up to see that. I was a 17-year-old kid. We just, the whole gang joined. This was what we thought we should do. And they go over there and taught how to survive. Survival is taking other people's lives. Surviving is staying alive through the night and the next day. And then you come back home into a normal society, and it's very difficult for them. They have a wife and children back there. It just tears their hearts out with all the different things that happened. So please pray for them. And if you get a chance, help wounded warriors with all the things that have happened in their lives. Well, the the third thing I want to talk about today, bring this to you, thought, was this. This is the best situation, I think, after 40, 54 years of teaching people and converting people. Everyone in this room has different talents. Now, I was a gourmet chef. How many of you can say that? Not very many. But you get mechanical, I'm in trouble. Put me in the kitchen. I can cook you a good meal. But I get around tools. 
I couldn't tell the difference between a three sixteenths and a what is it five eighths wrench, and I so I so I can't do what you can do. Each person in this room is important to this congregation. This is the church, not the building. You are the church. You're in the ecclesia. You're in here worshiping God. And I think a very meaningful worship service you've had so far, at least till I get up here. But anyway, what you want to do is the people that have the ability should be out in the parking lot with an umbrella if it's raining. Welcome the people in the building. Welcome them as they come inside. Be a pew watcher. Somebody's new on your pew. Find out who they are. Get their name. If they mention their Aunt Sally's in the hospital, tell one of the elders, tell Steve. In my congregation, if I knew it was a relative there, I'd run. I'd get there right away. I've had many people say to me, you know, my dad was in the hospital dying, and our priest didn't come, our Baptist minister didn't come, but the Church Christ preacher was there for them. It means a lot when there's a crisis in the family that someone there to pray for them and be there and be a support and stay with them just to walk in and walk out again. That's very important. And that's what helped us build that congregation, being there for the people, making friends with these people, and letting them know that you care about them, that you love them, that they're important. Uh, and the part of it is, now that's the same individuals who would be able to do this. That's not hard, is it? To say hello to somebody on the bench, get them to sign a card with their name. You do have cards there, don't you? We used to. Okay. And put their name on them and uh, hand it in to the preacher or hand it in to the elders so somebody can follow up with it. You divide it up into three things. The second one would be individuals that are teachers. Here's what I used to do. I would go to a congregation, and I'd walk in, I'd say, who are the people who used to go to church here? What's their names, where they live? I'd go visit them. And I would say to the members, would you be willing to have somebody at your house for a social? A lot of people won't go into a church building, a different church building. When I came out of Catholicism, I thought the church would fall down on me, the Church of Christ, because of you know, the background I had, being Italian and all that. So what I'm suggesting here to you is kind of it's a very important thing that you let people feel like they're part of the family of God. They may not yet be converted, but not to be judgmental, not to be cruel or harsh, but through love, try to lead them to the Lord. Do it with kindness and love. You need, I would invite people, they'd invite me to their house in a social because other people wouldn't go to a church. I, then I'd take over, set up Bible studies, and then I did the follow-up. When I went to Royal Oak, like I said before, we had about 145 people. We bounced off of 500. And uh, I looked around a year afterwards, and I said, where are they all at? We lost them out the back door. We do that. We lose people because we don't keep track of them. Follow-up is just as important as trying to convert somebody to Christ. It's following up with it. One of the things that happened to us as a young couple, I wouldn't ask the preacher any questions because every time I'd ask the priest something, he'd say, dare you question God? And I was afraid to ask questions. So a young couple about our age was assigned to us. We didn't know that as a big brother. And every time we went somewhere or did something, they made us feel real comfortable in the church. And I had questions that I didn't understand. I would ask questions of that young couple. So that's something else. Some of you people can teach, and some of you people can invite people. Some of you people can have a Bible study in your home and invite Steve over, or just a social or something of that nature. Get somebody that you don't have to worry about being able to teach if you don't want to get caught in. What most of these religious groups have done, they know what the Church of Christ teaches, and they know basically what you believe. When I start studying with a person, I ask them what, what church they go to, 
And I ask them, do you, like, do you like the church? Do you like the preacher? Do you like the changes that are going on in the churches today? And I would ask those questions, and the people, they would react in such a way that I could find out where to start. You're walking them at a canned program. I'm going to take you through these scriptures. Um, I, I see already they haven't been that effective. I go in, I want to know. I'll take this young man and pick on him for a second. Say, I don't know. Really, I don't know you anyway. But I ask you, well, what do you believe about it? So you're Lutheran, you're Presbyterian, whatever your background is. And then once I know where you're at, I know where to start. Instead of coming in and just dumping on you the certain thing we plan to do, knocking at doors. A lot of people have been discouraged at the door knocking. You get 1% to 3% uh, response. The largest campaign I was ever in was down in Houston, Texas. Went to 1,700 families on one day where we had a large church. And of that, we had a 1% to 3% response. And people get discouraged not seeing that happening. But uh, there's an approach to do it. That is where everybody is doing their part. Now, as far as teaching is concerned, and by the way, I got this visual laid up here, this ball. Team teaching, have you ever heard of that before? We'll say a husband and wife will do the teaching. He does the teaching. The wife follows right along with what's going on. She's on top of what's happening. And sometimes people draw you away from what the subject, or they change the subject. There was a fellow I was trying to reach in a hospital. Every time I talked about him being baptized, he would change the subject. But what, what happened, now let's hope this hand's pretty good. This is the one that's... Now, Serena would say, hey, Steve, let's look at this verse. She's already studying right along with him. She knows where they're at, where they're going. This other person's got Steve, I don't believe, backed in the corner, but maybe got him off on another track. She throws the ball at him by just suggesting a verse. She takes the, he takes the scripture, and then suppose the person rejects that one too. I usually uh, overload you with so many scripture all on the same subject. And then what I say to the person is, now, did you notice that each one of these is talking about the same thing? These scriptures, and of course, this is God's word. You've got to establish the authority as being the Bible if you expect to get anywhere with anybody. Then you've got to live it and be the example for the individuals. But I learned that. I don't have any new ideas. What I do is I've learned from other people. There isn't a person I have met I can't learn something. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the questions. But I've been doing this for 54 years. I've tried every style and every type. I think this probably would be the best approach because it gives a person a chance to get to know Steve, get to develop a relationship with him, a uh, chance for him to study with him. He would be as capable as some others here. Maybe I don't know. The back. I'll tell you something that bothers me in some of the churches I'm in. The majority of the members don't know their Bible. Somebody says, well, I read through the Bible this year. Did you spend any time meditating, reflecting on the Scriptures? I want to suggest to you that you spend some time in the book of Colossians read it over and over again, master the book. When I first came into the church, they said to me, well, if you're going to be a preacher, you're going to have to master the book. I took a look at that, and I said, oh my, how about like these guys? There's no Tom, Dick, and Harry in there. all got funny names. And I couldn't read very well. And uh, let me put it this way. Say in this room, all the ice cream you'll ever eat in your life is filling up this whole front of the church. You take one look at it, you might get sick, say, I can eat all that now. No. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Live one day at a time. And as you're living one day at a time, I used to eat ice cream almost every night. Take, you don't have to learn it all overnight, but I suggest that you study, you meditate, and you reflect on the verses and ask yourself, what's in chapter 1, what's in chapter 2, what's in chapter 3? I believe you can lead some of the Lord by knowing the book of Colossians and Galatians. The prison epistles, the four of them, are excellent books that could help you. There's many different approaches people have, but 
if I come in with a canned thing, the person almost feels like I'm manipulating him. But I say, listen, why don't we study a book in the Bible? How about the book of Colossians? When you get in Colossians, you run into the singing, you run into a number of other scriptures within the church, except for the doctrine of the last things. You can answer most questions about husbands, wives, children, that type of thing by the book of Colossians. Very small book, but has a lot of info in it to help you. Concentrating on one book at a time so that you know the Bible, so that you can share the scriptures. The other thing I have for people, I have a thing called A through Z. It's alphabetized the subjects. Like propitiation. Say you don't know what propitiation in the foreordination predestination is. You look up P. Right beside it, you find the scriptures. And that's something that's, that they would have in their hands, the teachers, the assistant that's doing the teaching, uh, Serena. And uh, the scripture would be there, at least three of the most important scriptures. When I get this completed, I'll send you a copy of it. I've been working on it for years. And uh, what I use suggest you use it for a Bible class. Because what I did is, every time I did it, I had people make mistakes and mess up the, you know, the typing. But also, uh, people come up with subjects I didn't have on it. And it, because you've got to be prepared for most of the things. I've trained myself a lot like a JW. I know what you believe, whatever church you are, whatever religion you are. I know exactly what they teach, and I, then I find out from you what you believe. Then I know where to start with it. One of the saddest things is that we can't be able to give an answer to every man concerning the hope that lies within us. You should be able to tell people how God would help you. I had what they call a credible ministry. My credible ministry was part of the follow-up. That was the first one started with a lady. I hope I could say this correctly. That stuck to me. I had her go to another young woman who was going to have the same thing. And she was a comfort to her. The woman said, well, this awful thing has happened to me. There's not a person in this room that's not going to face some kind of health or financial situation in life. A downer is going to make life negative for him. I suggest like, a, like an old penny, you make it shine by showing them what you can do with what's gone on in your life. You can help other people by showing them how the Lord helped you. We had a guy that had a stroke at our church that every Thursday he'd go to the hospital, talk to stroke, stroke patients, talk about how prayer and how God helped him in his life. Now, here's what's happening. The other guy's laying in bed, can't see, can't move, and this other fellow saying, hey, I've been there. I've done that. I understand that. That's why I did the credible ministry. I wanted people to go in there and talk to people about things that I'd never understood, and that way it would help the other individual. By the way, one of the things I'd like to suggest to you is this. When you're talking to these individuals, my favorite song is Hold to God's Unchanging Hand. Of course, Amazing graces too. Would you like to face eternity alone, by yourself with nobody there, or be holding on to God's unchanging hand? Have Him help you through it. Read me Shadrach and Abednego. Yeah, they had a crisis in their life. Yes, you have crises. We're going to have a lot of them, but they prepare you for the next one. Me Shadrach and Abednego. He took them through the fire. If you're holding on to God's hand, he's going to take you through the crisis, through the challenge you're facing, no matter what it is. I had one young man whose wife got involved with another fellow and had a baby, and this guy has grown like a giant, uh, learned to forgive and to move forward with his life. Every time I find someone that had a problem like that, I send this guy, Mark, out to see them. Mark will talk to them, and he says, hey, I've been there. I understand what you're going through. It makes you feel better when somebody's there. In fact, it works for me for the heart attack I had. Just before I went in for the, well, they, they hauled me into the hospital. 
doctor saved me in the uh, emergency room. One of these guys that had a heart attack was back on his feet. His name was Jerry. He came there, and all the things, everybody's got suggestions. But I listened to Jerry. Why? Because he'd been there. He'd done that. What crisis in your life have you had where God has helped you, where your prayer life has helped you, where your special passages of scriptures have helped you? Instead of it being a downer in your life, it's a ministry. It's a ministry to other people to help them. I've gone through all kinds of things with all kinds of people that have had awful things. They got in depression. They just felt they couldn't do anything with their life. Look at what God had given me. I think God gave them a ministry. I think God has given you a ministry. Whatever the crisis is that you have, you can share the thing by saying, well, I've been there. I understand it. That makes you feel a lot better. And somebody coming in with all these suggestions. The one guy, when he came in to talk to me, he said, don't fight the machine they're going to put you on. When you wake up, you're not going to be breathing on your own. The machine's breathing for you. And uh, if he hadn't told me that, I probably would have ripped the thing off. And that wouldn't have been very smart. But you see, he'd been through it, and I knew he had. I knew the Lord helped him. And I know well, if God would help Jerry, he would also help me. I didn't listen to all the other suggestions, just to the one he made. I made a big mistake when I was younger. I used to say to people when I visit them in the hospital, hey, listen, uh, I've come to see you. When I get sick, come see me. Do you realize how full an hospital was with people? We had a large congregation with a lot of people I helped, even the neighbors. I had to have my daughter stand like a guard at the door to kind of block it and say, look, folks, my dad can't take anymore. When you're in the hospital, just make your visits short. Let people know that you love them and that God loves them and God's willing to forgive them. One of the passages of Scripture that's helped me a lot was already read this morning here, and that is, if you walk in the light of season, light in a fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You say you have no sin, you lie and deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive you of all your unrighteousness. A lot of people are walking around with guilt, not able to forgive themselves. I usually say to them, you don't keep hitting yourself with that you keep hitting yourself with that stick, I'm gonna take it away from you. What stick that one you're beating yourself with? Somebody's done something twenty years ago and they're still whipping themselves about it. If you've asked God to forgive you, you've been forgiven. But I would suggest in your period, say, thank you, God, for forgiving me, instead of constantly asking him to forgive you. He's already forgiven you. But imagine forgiving of all your unrighteousness, getting rid of that guilt that you have. That's the thing about why Jesus came, that you might be forgiven. Repent you and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of your sins. Most people in this audience today have something somewhere in their life that they feel that they wish they could have done it over. Well, you can be forgiven. It'll never be there in the book of life. You know, there is a record kept in the Bible of what the good things we've done and the bad things we've done. And when you repent, you have the courage to come down that aisle. You're forgiven at that point by God. Maybe your friends won't forgive you, but God will forgive you. And that's the most important thing. Today, you have an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the one inviting you to come down that aisle. Just to get up out of that chair, it takes a lot of courage. Come down and ask for God's forgiveness. And then accept the fact and then thank God every time of every day that he did forgive you. Don't carry the guilt around another day. Why not come up? We stand and sing. Light of the world, you stand.